Bobcat fans. Support both your favorite team and Montana State students. When you shop at the student and faculty-owned MSU Bookstore, your purchase lowers the price of course materials for Montana State students. Montana State is in the midst of a historic year, and the MSU Bookstore has everything you need, from jerseys to garments, t-shirts to sweatshirts. You can also find the vast selection of Bobcat gear online by visiting msubookstore.org. Help students excel and look your best in blue and gold. The MSU Bookstore is your Bobcat gear headquarters. ESPN Radio. It's so crazy just how much of a whirlwind football is. I know so many of you out there follow along heavily, and uh, we appreciate you for doing so. But when football comes, it's so, so. I think it's particularly striking covering college football in the state of Montana because. It's like this abrupt start because you're hanging on to summer, which is the best time of year in Montana by a lot. And then it's just a full whirlwind for three months. And then all of a sudden you wake up and it's Christmas and it's winter. <laughs> and you don't even know what happened. Anyways, can't believe the football season is almost over, but it's been a very fun year and a very fun ride. And so now after spending the first hour of this here Nuana is now, Talking our way around the Big Sky Conference in women's hoops with our great friend Krista Redpath, we're going to talk some football. If you missed anything in Around the Big Sky Women's Hoops with Krista, you can find it on the Nuanas Now podcast. Appreciate Vertical Rays for being the presenting sponsor. And uh, go check out the Nuanas Now podcast on uh, all your various podcast hosting platforms. Nuanas Now podcast probably presented by the M Store. And the uh, MSU Bookstore. It's time now for our ESPN Roundtable FCS National Championship style. Sam Herter, Hero Sports, who was kind enough to join us during the lead segment of every Wednesday show throughout the football season. He's coming on with us to lead hour number two here on your Wednesday ESPN Roundtable. Proudly presented by Paradise Falls of Missoula. Paradise Falls has dozens of big screen TVs. They also have 18 draft beers, breakfast, lunch, dinner. So if you need a place uh, to go watch the FCS National Championship game and also maybe monitor some NFL games at the same time, Paradise Falls, a great spot for you. They uh, great place to gather with family and friends alike. Plus, they got a Sports Bet Montana kiosk. So go check out Paradise Falls here on the south side of the Garden City, 3621 Brook Street. Going down to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line. Welcome in our great friend, Sam Herter of Hero Sports. Sam, haven't talked to you in a couple weeks, man. How was your holidays? How you been? It was good. Uh, nice to take uh, a little bit of time off, but then gearing up for uh, this anticipated FCS title game. So things have been good. Looking forward to getting to Frisco, Texas, uh, heading out there, uh, heading down there tomorrow. And weather-wise, looking a little bit better <laughs> than last year. So uh, looking forward to getting down there. Well, you've been covering the uh, the FCS on a national level for uh, a little while now, becoming a, a grizzled veteran, I would say. And uh, <laughs> so you've been down to Frisco uh, quite a bit. What is your opinion of, of just the uh, the venue and the setup and uh, where the FCS National Championship game has been played here for the last decade plus? Yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to, to strike a balance here because I do like Frisco. And even you go back a few years ago, the 2019 season, I'd, I was saying that, oh, it doesn't need to move. Frisco, is, Fris- Frisco has been great. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's a town that I think Montana State fans uh, recognize that last year, the, the town, the hotels, the businesses, 
they all recognize the game. They, they recognize the game is in oh. town. Uh, I had heard I had heard that you know Chattanooga beforehand. Basically, the FCS and the NCAA rented out the stadium, but the the town of Chattanooga itself didn't you know necessarily have a bunch of FCS title banners and stuff uh, around town. And so I think the, the town uh, in that area is perfect. I think the stadium size honestly is perfect. Maybe a little bit bigger, but you know. Yeah, I think seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty thousand uh, is fine. Uh, you know the um, the turf has obviously been an issue. I'm um, actually on my podcast that uh, just came out uh, recently today. The the, the the FCS and the NCAA uh, they've actually talked about potentially putting a portable turf field uh, on top of that field uh, in Frisco as as a potential solution to those to those problems and so um, that's something that Patty Viverio told me and Tom Wistersill uh, pushed for that uh, the turnaround time uh, was too soon to get it done this year but it is on the table for future games it would be costly but uh, they, they do think they have the ability to maybe roll a, a turf field over top of that one um, so uh, you know with, with all that said I really like Frisco I think they do a great job but at the same time you know, when the contract is up in a few years, it'll be in Frisco for 16-ish years. And I think maybe it's time for something new. Uh, it might be getting a little stale there or just with, you know, it might be the same two, three teams making it uh, throughout the 2020s. And so maybe maybe it's time for something new. But at the same time, there needs to be interest from other towns to host this game. I mean, I don't know if there has been a whole lot of interest in hosting this game, you know, going back to the last two bits. It's, it is so interesting. Sam Herder here on Sports joining us here on uh, Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. It is our ESPN roundtable because uh, Frisco, like you said, they certainly n- know very well that the game is in town. They they cater to it. You can find you know food and drink specials that are you know specifically for people that are down there for the game. It's very accessible. It's, I mean, we've been down there three times. It's easy to get around. You can. You know, definitely get in and out of the stadium and all that stuff. It's not a headache at all in terms of the logistics. And also, though, I, 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 your point about maybe it being stale, it's going to be impossible to ever know unless we have a different team besides North Dakota State playing down there. Because for those that don't know this, like NDSU people travel to Frisco in droves. I mean, you're talking like 15, 16, 17,000 Bison fans have been at these national championship games, and I, I wouldn't uh, probably expect anything different this time around. So uh, maybe that's just part of it, Sam, is just the fact that we have uh, at least one of the two teams playing in Frisco has been pretty much the same for a decade plus. Right, and I think the the economic impact for this game, for Frisco, playing all that whole area, I, th- I think I read it's like six, seven, eight million dollars million. Um, and so you would think with that, you know, once this new con- once this contract is up, there would be other you know cities interested in hosting this game, but at the same time, what if you bid you know X amount of dollars to host this game, and all of a sudden the next year NDSU finds its way into the FBS, uh, or there's some big time shuffles, and Montana schools are you know in the FBS, or maybe they're not making the FCS title game, and you know if it's if it's Incarnate Word versus Sac State one year, how, is that what's that going to draw ten thousand, uh, and all of a sudden you know it's not quite the draw. In the first year in Frisco, between Delaware and Eastern Washington, they did not sell out. And so, um, yeah, NDSU obviously has been a big part of, of making this uh, environment what it is. And, you know, there's just not a whole lot of fan bases that could, you know, t- travel in droves. Uh, you know, the, the NDS, or James Madison, Youngstown State, that was a pretty good crowd because James Madison has a really good fan base. Uh, but you just never know, you know, how much longer NDSU will be in the FCS. 
Um, and so that, that's also maybe part of the equation of, of how much interest there is in this game. And from what I know, when Frisco got this contract uh, back in 2009, 2010, uh, Chattanooga, Frisco, and Missoula actually were in conversations and you know, had bids out there to, to host this game. And when this game was renewed in 2018 or 2019, I think Frisco may have been the only one to submit a bid. And so everyone says, oh, move it to Vegas, move it to Florida, move it to you know, Alabama, somewhere more cent- or somewhere central. But if none of those towns want it, then, you know, it's, it's going to be in Frisco uh, for, for a long, long time. Well, let's talk about this game then. Sam Herter, Hero Sports, joining us, talking all things uh, FCS National Championship game, except we haven't really talked anything about FCS National Championship game besides <laughs> the venue yet. Um, it's always interesting in sports, Sam, when the, the, the teams that you project – to be very good and be sort of on a collision course, then, in fact, fulfill that. It's almost like when there isn't any uh, unexpected result and there is, it sort of goes to script, then it somehow it, it takes – I don't want to say it takes away the excitement, but the, like the unpredictability isn't there. But all that said, I think that we have the two best teams in the football championship subdivision playing uh, in this national championship game. I do think that uh, – the other two Final Four teams, Incarnate Word, who took NDSU down the wire in Fargo, and, and uh, Montana State, who um, sort of hit a brick wall in Brookings, South Dakota, when they played South Dakota State. They were very uh, very good oppositions and certainly worthy of being in that, that top four discussion. And, and, you know, some could say, well, what would have happened if the Cats would have got the three and North Dakota State would have got the four? All that aside... Um, I think in the preseason, before any of the stuff with North Dakota State and the injuries that they've suffered and all that, I think preseason people would have said um, this is probably the the betting favorite to be the national championship uh, game. How, just take us through it. I mean, what have been the key factors to each of these teams getting to this point? I guess just start with the defending champions from NDSU. Yeah, it's been interesting with this NDSU season because it's it's very comparable to last season where NDSU, we always expect them to just, you know, just pound uh, opponents like they did in 2018 and 20 and 2019. And, you know, NDSU didn't do it last season in the regular season. They didn't necessarily do it this regular season either, as far as looking like, you know, the juggernaut that is NDSU. Uh, then you make it, you, you get to the playoffs and last year, NDSU kind of didn't dominate ETSU as much as we thought. This year in the quarterfinals, Sanford, uh, another SoCon opponent. We all kind of thought NDSU would, would, would run over them pretty easily. That wasn't the case. That was the close game. And then in the semifinals last year, James Madison had every reason to win that game late. And this year, or this season, UIW had every reason to win that game late. Yeah, there was still NDSU winning the semifinals and advancing to the title game. And now going into this championship matchup, you know, I think it's it's kind of along the same storylines as last year where I don't necessarily know if there was a ton of people picking Montana State to beat NDSU, but we were talking about how Brent Vegan has, has you know, kind of built that formula to beat and match NDSU. You know, Montana State has to play in the trenches. They have the front seven. You know, they're built to uh, to beat NDSU. Um, and, and, if uh, you know, this year I think the mindset is, is kind of, South Dakota State has built its team and has built up and up and up throughout these years uh, to beat NDSU, and they have done it in the regular season multiple times. Now they just need to do it in in the playoffs. Uh, but I think kind of the narrative now is if this South Dakota State team that's fully healthy, probably the best in program history, if they can't beat this NDSU team that is 
less dominant and has a lot of guys that were on the two deep at the start of the year that are no longer there or are hurt or are sidelined or in the transfer portal, you know, then, then who is ever going to beat NDSU? And so I think there are kind of uh, mirroring narratives this season and uh, to last season. The rise of South Dakota State to get to this point, Sam Herder here on Sports joining us here on our ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls of Missoula. The rise of SDSU to get to this point has been at the same time incremental and rapid. Uh, The Jackrabbits broke through and made the playoffs for the first time back in 2009. I remember when they brought that team to Missoula. I was at that game with the wildest finishes uh, I've ever witnessed with uh, South Dakota State up four touchdowns and then Montana rallying for a uh, huge uh, win on the way to making their most recent run to the national championship game some 13, 14 years ago. But SDSU's been in the playoffs pretty much every year since then. And uh, they've been in the Final Four, I think, five out of the last six years. They played for the national championship in the spring. But what's been the thing that's gotten them over the top, not only with being able to beat North Dakota State this year in the regular season again, but also uh, surging into the national championship here uh, this weekend? Yeah, South Dakota State, throughout the 2010s, they, they never had issues as far as having standout quarterback, running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, uh, some really good middle linebackers. Christian Roseboom, you know, comes to mind. They've always had those, those skill position guys that are, um, you know, kind of all American names, but they just, uh, they were never quite there on the offensive and defensive lines. Uh, and I think, you know, honestly, I think they looked at how NDSU rotated across the defensive line. I mean, they needed, they know, they knew they needed more depth across the defensive line. They couldn't play the same six guys across the D line throughout the season and expect to be able to defend NDSU's rushing attack uh, in the playoffs. And then on the offensive line, uh, I, honestly, I, I think I give a lot of cre- credit to Jason Eck. Uh, I can't remember what specific year he came in to be the offensive line coach at South Dakota state. But you know, when he took over now, obviously at Idaho, but when he took over the offensive line uh, in Brookings, I, I think they, they really elevated their play. Uh, I think they got bigger and more athletic uh, as well. I think maybe they were, Maybe they focus less on on getting, you know, guys that were already 290 pounds, and maybe they focus more on, you know, small town South Dakota farm kids that are really good athletes. And maybe they are only 230 pounds as, as a junior, but they see their six five frame and they say, oh, you know, we could probably get this guy to 290, 300 pounds by the time he's a junior. Develop him, keep his athleticism, and, and we could have a pretty good offensive line, which is. I mean, frankly, that's exactly what NDSU does. And so South Dakota State has honestly probably copied what NDSU has done. Um, and I think I mentioned on your show before that, you know, I've had seen Bison fans saying, oh, South Dakota State is just a, a copycat of NDSU. They're trying to do everything NDSU does from a roster standpoint. And the response is always, well, yeah, duh, everyone should be trying to do uh, what North Dakota State is doing. And so uh, I think the Jacks have kind of almost slowly built their way up uh, to this and they, and they keep on getting further and further uh, in the playoffs. And now it's kind of the, uh, this one last step, this one last hurdle to get past NDSU in, in the postseason. Sam Herter, Hero Sports, joining us here on our ESPN Roundtable at Hero Sports right now. You can find a couple great and uh, very insightful pieces that Sam's put together. Five keys for a North Dakota State victory over South Dakota State, and then five keys for a South Dakota State victory over North Dakota State. Uh, both teams certainly have some uh, advantages, disadvantages, things they got to mitigate. Uh, Sam, I won't make you go through all five because we want the folks to go on over to Hero Sports and read these things, but uh, just give me one each. To start with the Bison, what, uh, what's maybe one key factor if they're going to go out and win this thing against SESU? Yeah, I think one that's 
a little more off the radar because, you know, when in the trenches, better quarterback play, good special teams, you know, stuff like that is kind of the keys for every game. But I think for NDSU, limiting yards after contact is key. Uh, you know, NDSU is, is relatively young at the linebacker or just across their front seven as a whole. Um, I think especially the linebackers have been uh, – they've gotten better. I think tackling was an issue earlier on in the season. They've gotten better there. Uh, but when you look at South Dakota State, I mean, Isaiah Davis is averaging 8.2 yards uh, per carry. Uh, just on this season as a whole, I think he's averaging close to 4.0 yards after contact. Uh, and so he's a guy that bounces off a lot of tackles. Uh, Jackson and Jaden Yonke are, are two big six foot three receivers. They do a really good job of, of maybe turning a, a short pass into uh, more chunk yardage because they are, you know, bigger, more physical guys that uh, can break tackles on, on smaller cornerbacks. And then, you know, Tucker Craft, uh, we saw it last year in the semifinals uh, against Montana State, where, you know, he broke a tackle. He got into the open field, you know, six foot five, 255 pounds running like a deer in the open field. That was until Troy Anderson, you know, chased him down to kind of a crazy display of athleticism for both of those guys. But, you know, Tucker Kraft is, you know, a guy that he catches a 10-yard pass, he breaks a tackle, bounces off a dude, and all of a sudden it's a 30-yard gain. And so I think for NDSU, just limiting those yards after contact will be big. And on the other side, then, how much, I guess, well, first of all, just what, what, is a, what is one key factor for South Dakota State? Yeah, I think it's limiting the play-action success for NDSU. Uh, you know, I wrote that Cam Miller is, is most comfortable uh, when, obviously, when the ground game is going, but also Miller is, is pretty good off of play action. Uh, his, his pro football focus grade, passing grade is 83.6 on play action passes compared to non-play action passes uh, where he's just a 60.2 passing grade on PFF. And so uh, I think when he's at his best, it's when, the ground game is going, and then the defense is is overly aggressive, trying to stop the run. They do a play action, and he, uh, you know, dumps it off to a tight end or a fullback in the flats, or uh, you know, maybe he has a, a tight end or a slot receiver kind of sitting in sit, sitting in, in, in a soft spot and an easy window for him to complete an easy pass because the linebackers and maybe the safeties are sucking up to defend the run. And so, uh, South Coast State, obviously, the number one key for them is to stop the run. Uh, they are they do have the number one rushing defense. In the FCS, NDSU is down their top rusher in Hunter Lipke. Uh, Tameric Williams is no longer on the two deep. He's hurt. Kobe Johnson had a pretty gruesome finger, uh, gruesome finger injury in the semifinals. We'll see if Kobe Johnson plays or not. Uh, and so stopping the run is going to be key, but also, you know, NDSU is going to have a whole lot of play action concepts as well and, and not letting that, uh, you know, affect, uh, affect you and have success on you. Is, it will be key for South Dakota State. ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls of Missoula. Paradise Falls, go-to spot for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the south side of Missoula. If you want a place to watch all the football action, whether it's the uh, awesome games uh, from the NFL on Saturday or the FCS National Championship game on Sunday or all the NFL slate Sunday or the FBS National Championship game on Monday, Paradise Falls will have all of it on for you. They also have food and drink specials whenever they got games going, so go check them out, 3621 Brooks Street. Uh, here in the uh, Garden City, Sam. To me, I think that the one of the the top factors in this game for either side is just the juggernaut that is North Dakota State. I mean, they have they've been here time and again. It's an annual reunion every single time that they go down to to Frisco. They are undefeated nine and zero on that field. They uh, they got the formula. They know the way to do it. They know the way to mitigate everything up until that game. 
and they seem to figure out a peak a way to peak all the time, and that no one has been able to go down there and beat them. South Dakota State not only uh, has one of the better opportunities to do so, but they're also favored in the game just in terms of the betting line. But I don't know if I can buy anybody being favored over North Dakota State in Frisco. And uh, so what do you think of just that dynamic? I mean, how much of this just really comes down to South Dakota State just believing that they can topple the uh, the, the juggernaut that's been the Bison? Yeah, I think having that confidence for South Dakota State, getting out to a quick start, while that's all, that's all uh, you know, pretty cliche, I do think it is important, especially on this stage. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously the Tommy Malad injury last year didn't help and was kind of a, a buzzkill on the sidelines, but I still think Montana State had maybe a bit of a deer-in-the-headlights look early on just to not realize what exactly what was hitting them, and by that time, by the time they settled in, it was whatever it was, 17 nothing, 21 nothing. I've seen other first-time teams in Frisco also kind of have uh, that slow start where they are uh, really tight. And South Coast State, they, they were in Frisco in the spring season. That was 50% capacity. They are a veteran squad. Uh, but I do think there is something to be said about coming out to a quick start because, yeah, you know, it's kind of also the cliche of the field goals or the, the field goals are the, the same size and the, the football field is the same size and it's just a football game. But it is different when you're on the stage and, Playoff football in the FCS in general is just different than regular season football. And every round you advance, things just get taken up a notch. And playing on this national title stage is there is just kind of a different uh, feel to it. And so, and NDSU, North Dakota State it, just knows how to play their best game, right? I mean, it just seems. I mean, I've watched them a couple times down there, and it's like as good as they've been all year. They play even better when they get to Frisco. Yeah, and they know how to use this three-week break, uh, whether it's right. mentally and physically. Uh, they know how to handle uh, the week. There's a handful of events that each team uh, goes through in the days leading up to the game. And, uh, you know, you I, I've heard some pass by some players say that the first time they were in Frisco and were kind of a major part of the team's success, you know, by the time they got to the game day, they were kind of mentally drained because they were, just think, they were just thinking about the game for 72 straight hours while down in Frisco, and they were kind of tense. And by the time the game happened, by the time the game kicked off, uh, you know, some of the younger players for NDSU were, were kind of mentally drained while the, the veterans were telling them to, you know, kind of relax and enjoy the few days in Frisco before the game. Um, and so I think all that is maybe it's not, you know, the, the biggest factor because at the end of the day it will come down to the quarterbacks and who wins in the trenches and all of that. But I do think there is a fair point to say if South Coast State comes out tight and NDSU all of a sudden goes up 14 nothing. You know, it, it could be it could be done by then because I, I, I understand that South Dakota State erased the twenty-one-seven deficit at NDSU earlier this year. But again, it's just it, it's different on the national title stage. And if you give NDSU any sort of confidence, and NDSU sets the tone that says, "Okay, that's a cute Dakota marker you guys have," but you know this this is our this is this is our stage right here. If you give NDSU that momentum and that type of mindset, that that could be trouble for South Dakota State early. Go check out Herosports.com. Sam Herter, Senior FCS Analyst for Hero Sports, joining us here on Nuanas Now. He has five keys to victory for North Dakota State, five keys to victory for South Dakota State, two great pieces full of insight leading up to Sunday's FCS National Championship game. Sam, we'll have to do this again one more time next week, but appreciate you being here today, and uh, thanks so much for all your contributions, not only today but throughout the season. And uh, we'll talk to you one more time next week, but in the meantime, have fun in Frisco, man. All right, yeah, that always sounds good with me, and I appreciate you having me on. There you go. Sam Herter, ESPN Roundtable, here on 
Nuanez now. ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls. It's prime rib night at Paradise Falls. That sounds pretty good. Prime rib dinner with all the fixins uh, starting at 4 p.m. every Wednesday uh, at Paradise Falls. So if you want to go have a hearty meal here in the heart of winter, head on down to 3621 Brook Street, Paradise Falls, Missoula's coolest hotspot. What's going on over at the Rock and Rudy's attic? Well, I went over, I went in there by for the first time uh, during the uh, winter break. What a place, man! <laughs> it is like my dreamland reincarnated. Like if you were to just take what I dream about when I sleep and manifest it into a store, that's what it is at the Rock and Rudy Rudy's attic. Uh, we'll talk that plus uh, maybe some Tiger Woods as well. Uh, I'm all in on. Uh, the great one. I've been reading a book all about him. It's got me down the rabbit hole. All that next. Keep it right here. Nuan is now ESPN Radio. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. We're playing some old school, early 90s grunge because I'm feeling nostalgic. And what a perfect guest now to uh, celebrate nostalgia even further. Welcome back. Nuana's Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. I'm Coulter Nuana's coming to you through the ESPN MT studio here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. I'm joined now in studio by a guy who joined us once before, before the holiday, but he'll be back uh, more often now that uh, we're into the new year. Uh, Jason Schultz from down at Rockin' Rudy's Attic. And I got to say, man, uh, I told you I hadn't gotten in there yet because I was waiting. And then I came inside right before Christmas. What a cool place you guys got, man. This place is awesome. Uh, Just give people a refresher of uh, what it's all about down there at the attic. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Thanks for stopping in. Um, The attic is basically the collection of what the owner of Rockin' Rudy's has accumulated since he's been a child. So any concert he's gone to, anything that's come to the record department over the years, uh, sporting events, uh, or just anything he thought was cool. We've saved it, we've dusted it off, and it's ready to go. Yeah, I mean, Christmas presents galore, but Christmas is in the river, but that's okay. You can always get yourself or your family or your friends, whatever, a present. When we were in there, they got everything from like Farrah Fawcett posters, which one of my friends picked up one of those while we were down there. I was digging on the Sean Kemp memorabilia Supersonics plate. That was pretty cool. My sister-in-law, she got my brother this sweet 1992 Barcelona Olympics. I mean, there's this all sorts of crazy stuff, and it's not even that it's just nostalgic, but this stuff is in great shape, which is very impressive from a collecting standpoint. And uh, also, there's just stuff that, I mean, I'm a big-time collector. You guys have so much stuff that I have never seen before, ever, anywhere. That's kind of, I think, with uh, all the record store promos that you get that are never for sale to people. Right, right. We, he kind True. of thinks the same way as along the sports lines, too, of like what's something that's you know no one's seen before. Well, today, if you're watching on SWX or uh, on the ESPN MT app, uh, you can see on your on your screen. And if you're just listening on the radio... 
we'll just do our best job of uh, giving you the the theater of the mind. We got two pieces of memorabilia here. First, we got a, a Ray Lewis signed card. I guess I guess it's a signature, and this is a piece of his jersey. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. So Ray Lewis, the iconic Hall of Fame linebacker from the Baltimore Ravens, he got a card, a, a signature. And a piece of his jersey. That's that's pretty sweet, man. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really get better than that. It's all framed in one nice little package for you. It's pretty awesome to hang on the wall. Uh, definitely. And then we also got, for those uh, 90s kids out there, you got the, the Mike, I guess late 80s, early 90s, got the Mike Tyson uh, original Nintendo, but this is even better. Is, is that a real Tyson signature? Uh, absolutely. Oh, that is so sweet, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what you have here is framed. It's a still shot from Nintendo's Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Uh, it looks beautiful. It's awesome. And then to take it one step further, it's signed, and then it's framed, and then even inside the frame, you've got an original old-school Nintendo controller inlaid in. <laughs> it's, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty sweet. So uh, it's not only that these are valuable pieces of memorabilia, but this is also... Uh, you guys have done a good job with the presentation part too, right? That's that's like half the battle. Yeah, you got to make it look good if you wanted to go home. Uh, that, and that's the thing too is you know so often there's a lot of people that collect a lot of stuff, but again, I got to reemphasize that all of the stuff is just in mint condition. I mean, it's amazing because yeah, most people's baseball cards from when they were a kid or whatever, they're all tattered and torn. This stuff's just perfect. Yeah, most people don't have an attic where you can store things for 40 years and <laughs> be untouched. Yeah, no doubt about it. Rock and Rudy's Attic is uh, located right there across the street from Dorn Blazer Field on the uh, corner of Higgins and South. It's right where our great friend Zootown Sports Cards used to be. Uh, Zootown now up in the uh, Stevens Center, so great... Uh, Great trade-in. I mean, that must have been an easy place to set up because it kind of was already set up for this kind of stuff, right? Uh, when you go into a sports card shop on a Wednesday at 2 and there's a ton of people in there <laughs> and you're thinking about moving into that place, <laughs> yeah. it makes it a really easy decision. <laughs> yeah, totally. Anything else people need to know about the attic or anything else you guys got cooking over there? Um, we're constantly reshuffling the store. So we just reshuffled the entire sports wall. So there's a lot of new items that weren't there over Christmas time. Um, the other thing to think about, two things. One, Rock and Rudy gift cards work at the attic. Nice. And tax return season is coming up. Hey, that's a good one. Yep. Tax return gifts are always great. They have all sorts of original and uh, one-of-a-kind memorabilia. Again, it's located at the corner of South and Higgins. Better yet, though, you can even check them out online. Rock and Rudy's Attic. Dot com as well. I'm off to make another trip over there, man. I think payday is coming up. I might have to come get myself some more stuff. I think you got to come on down. <laughs> if you guys want to go see these guys, go check them out uh, over there at the attic. Uh, they're 102 South at Higgins, right across from Dorn Blizzard Field, uh, right by the light. Uh, anything else to add before we get you out of here, man? Um, just always adding new things. Yeah. So every time you come back, you should see a ton of new things. You were in the other day, and I already have a whole new wall that you haven't seen. I love it. It's a great place, too, even if you're, I mean, you're always shopping. You always want to see what they got on hand. But uh, it's cool just to go thumb around and look around and walk around and just appreciate it and remember some some times from the past. So uh, go check them out there at the corner of South and Higgins, rocking Rudy's attic. Jason Schultz in studio uh, with us here on Nuanas now. Can't wait to see what you bring next month, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Colton. Yeah, thanks for having or thanks for being here, man. Uh, we will talk more about a huge weekend in the NFL. Plus, I have been all the way nerding out on this new uh, Tiger Woods biography. And uh, speaking of nostalgia, I mean, I know Tiger has been talked about ad nauseum, but I even have new thoughts. We'll we'll uh, do that next to take you home here uh, on your Wednesday. Keep it right here. It's Nuanas now, ESPN Radio. 
Grizz Nation's favorite outfitter is the M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. And now the M Store has a brand new location in downtown Missoula. Come check out the new storefront located on the corner of Higgins and Broadway. The M Store in Missoula has been your Grizz Gear headquarters for more than 10 years, offering some of the most original University of Montana gear you'll find anywhere in the Garden City. Next time you're downtown, swing in. Come by the M Store today and wear what the Grizz wear. Or shop online at MontanaMStore.com. is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Always been a Foo Fighters fan, but uh, never, well, how do, you, how do you even say this? Uh, I have a great many friends that are like Foo Fighters diehards, and I uh, I like the Foo Fighters. I actually think that the Foo Fighters are Dave Grohl's third best band. That's just because I am obsessed with Queens of the Stone Age, and I'm also huge into Nirvana. But uh, Foo Fighters, always really liked them. But I, I've uh, I never had a more disappointing concert experience than when I went to the Foo Fighters and Billings. But it wasn't even for any other reason than, like, they fully admitted that they were on, like, the 13th show in the last 20 days on this world tour. And they totally admitted that they were hungover. <laughs> and it was just an interesting deal because, like, I think when they told me that, I was just more hyper-recognizing that they were, like, a little bit tired. So, anyways, that's not to just say anything other than the Foo Fighters rock and... uh Thanks for rocking out with us today here on Nuanas Now. Hope you have a great Wednesday. It's uh, crazy to think. I was reflecting the other day on, um, do you remember, if you're of a certain age, you totally remember when it was about to be not only a new year, but also the turn of a century and the turn of a millennium. And it's crazy to think how, Little we knew about computers and technology on December 31st, 1999, compared to what we know now on January 4th, 2023, right? There was this giant potential calamity of what was going to happen to the world at large when the clocks turned over and everything went to zeros because it was the dawn of the year 2000. If you're of a certain age, you totally remember Maybe you're, you're, you or your parents or, or somebody having a slight panic or at least being a slightly apprehensive of what the, uh, the future might hold and what it was going to mean. I mean. We had, growing up at my house in Missoula, we had a closet that we called the Y2K closet, and that was pre-Y2K, and then we just kept it <laughs> as, the, as the Y2K closet, even though Y2K was far in the rear view. That's where, you know, he kept all the extra foods and foodstuffs and uh, unperishables and chips and all that. It's just, uh, it's fascinating to to think back to uh, that time and place. But I've been, I've been thinking about that time and place a lot because I've been reading this great biography uh, co-written by Jeff Benedict and Armin Katea. It's all about Tiger Woods. And this, this actually came out a couple of years ago and the, the, the famed, HBO documentary about Tiger that that came out and then really shook shook it up shook up the world and was very very highly viewed. That doc is based on this biography, and as always, I mean the doc is very good, but the uh, the biography is just insane. It's so well reported, hundreds of sources, and there's just so much in depth. Stuff that's going on. But the part I've been on uh, in the last couple days 
is all about when Tiger Woods was first becoming. I mean, he's he's been in the national spotlight since he was three. I mean, he was on late night TV hitting golf balls on the Tonight Show and all this stuff when he was a little kid. Could barely talk, but still was just uh, this prodigy, this golf prodigy. But when he really truly started becoming like mainstream famous was when he was a sophomore at Stanford and he won his second consecutive NCAA championship and he blew the field out of the water and then he went to the U.S. Amateur and no one had ever won three straight U.S. Amateurs and then he blows the doors off that tournament as well and then all of a sudden, and this is the back end stuff in this biography that I didn't really know about when they're talking about negotiating what his future might hold because he knew that he needed to play in all these various different tournaments, but how do you pay for it? I mean, his family was, you know, just a normal family, not like crazy impoverished, but also not like crazy rich or anything like that. And his father, Earl, who's been uh, much chronicled and, and, and in some ways much criticized uh, for his, his uh, high level of attention to his son's development. His father, Earl knew that Tiger needed to play in at least these 11 tournaments if he wanted to continue to set the stage for turning professional, but he didn't know how he was going to do that. So just sort of the insight into what the meetings were like, trying to figure out how do you pay for this kid to do all this stuff? Where can we get donations and, and raise money to do this? But then how do we not make sure that we don't get Stanford an NCAA violation because we don't want this kid to be getting professional wages? It's just crazy. And then as soon as he turned pro, then that's where the book just shoots all the way into overdrive. And we've had young, emerging, tremendous stars in sports throughout American history. And the making of a star in America is certainly one of the fascinating parts that sort of brings us all together and captivates us all. But as, as the writer in this biography states, there has never been someone that burst onto the scene and it wasn't that, you know, they were this prodigy who was going to be good. I mean, Kobe Bryant and, and uh, Serena Williams and, um, you know, I'm trying to think of other really young examples, but I mean, how, first of all, how crazy is it that Kobe Bryant, Serena Williams, and Tiger Woods all made their pro debuts within months of each other in 1996? Pretty good year. Uh, whenever they, I think every, all three of those uh, athletes were born in, I think, 1978. So, pretty good year there uh, for them to all make their pro debuts as teenagers in 1996. But I digress. As the author states in this book, Never, ever has there been someone that turned pro and instantly was the biggest star their sport had ever seen. And not only the biggest star, but the most dominant player their sport had ever seen. I mean, there's guys like Freddie Couples and Peter Jacobson and guys that have video games named after them that won a handful, you know, maybe 10 PGA tournaments in their whole lives. I don't know if Peter Jacobs would ever won a major. Freddie Couples, I think, has one major. He's and he's he's one of the most famous brand name golfers of the modern era. Tiger Woods went pro and won two of the last five tournaments on the tour that year. He didn't go pro till September. He won two tournaments, but by the time the calendar year was over, automatically qualified for the tournament, the ne- or the tour, excuse me, the next year, and then the next year, the next spring, as a just turned twenty one year old. 
he not only goes out and wins the Masters, he goes out and wins the Masters by 12 strokes. He, he broke the game of golf. <laughs> it was amazing to really think about. But the, the part of the story that I was on last night that I couldn't get over is they were referencing about how the media was trying to cover this unbelievable phenomenon. Because this guy, not only did he have uh, all of, of the uh, the racial barriers that he was breaking down in the game of golf and just in general, and not only did he have such a, a multiracial melting pot as his background, uh, you know, not only did he have a million-dollar Madison Avenue smile, not only was he Stanford-educated and such an articulate uh, person to, to endorse any and all goods, but then he also was the most transcendently good athlete that the sport had ever seen and brought a completely new element of excitement to a sport that a lot of people thought was fringe and boring. So then the the coverage of him and the way he got eaten alive by the world at large, because everybody wanted a piece of Tiger Woods. It's fascinating to see all the chronicling, but the two stories that they reference are the, the infamous story uh, that Gary Smith wrote for Sports Illustrated when Earl Woods proclaimed that Tiger would change the world on the level of, of uh, the Dalai Lama and Mahatma Gandhi. I mean, talk about putting pressure on your kid. I mean, <laughs> wow. And then sort of the retort, which was a more uh, satirical but also very sharp and poignant sort of prose written by Charlie Pierce for GQ. I was reading the Charlie Pierce story after seeing the reference of it in the, the Tiger Woods book. And uh, I just couldn't believe so many things about the story, how sharp it was, how pointed it was, how different it was to be a sports writer or a writer in general, a profile writer, before the internet, before Twitter, before uh, any sort of instantaneous media. The art of hanging out, as one of my idols, Gay Talese, would always talk about, that used to be such a real thing. And and. I was reading this story and I was thinking, man, if this story came out tomorrow, it was written in 1997 for GQ magazine. You can go check it out. Just Google Tiger Woods, Charlie Pierce, GQ. If you were to read, if you were to print that story tomorrow, it, it, it would make the internet explode because there's all sorts of things that are said and talked about in that story that would be considered at the very least controversial and at the very most cancelable in today's day and age. And I just couldn't get over how much the world has changed in the last 25 years. I'm not saying it's for the better or for the worse. It's just amazing to see how much the world can change in that amount of time. And I think that for people like Tiger Woods to live through that and uh, to experience the highest of highs and the richest of riches, but also have basically have to come of age as a young man with that much exposure and that much pressure and that much publicity, um, it's unbelievable. Now I think that everything is so hyper-exposed all the time that I don't know if people are going to ever get crushed by it at the same level. Certainly, I don't think fame is good for you, but I, I think that uh, there's a, a lot of... Um, there's a great deal of reverence that we should give to the people that came along when mass media and worldwide media first became part of the daily interactions with the most famous and most prodigious uh, among us. I'm sure I'm going to have more thoughts on this book as I continue to read it, 
But it really was an unbelievable moment in time to watch this happen because I really don't know if we have, I, I know for a fact we have never seen before, and I really don't know if we will ever see again someone that at the age of 20 was instantly the biggest star and the most dominant player in the history of their sport the day that they turned pro. Unbelievable. More musings from my mind throughout the rest of the week. We'll be back at it tomorrow at uh, 4 o'clock. Justin Angle will help us lead the show. We'll also have our Treasure State stars. And we'll have Brooks Nuanas, our best Montana or our best uh, NFL betting lines, excuse me. Plus, we'll have our Montana State Minute with Keaton Gologli. All that tomorrow. See you then, 4 p.m. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. I am here with Catherine DeLands of The Advocates. If you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know if you've been in an accident, The Advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury accidents, things like that? Uh, It's all we practice. Uh, You're not going to get an attorney who's practicing family law or in court defending criminal cases. All we do is personal injury. We're a multi-state firm, but I'm right here in Missoula. So we have the backing of a large firm uh, with just years of expertise there, too. Free consultations. You can find out more by calling 406-640-4444 or by visiting online 24-7 montanaadvocates.com.